0: Today on CityCast Chicago, as we get closer to the February 28th municipal elections, the political ads are getting even more frequent and aggressive. We learn from someone on the inside about what goes into making the most effective ads. It's Wednesday, February 15th. I'm Simona Lisea in for Jacoby Cochran, and this is
1: what Chicago's talking about. Uh, we work a lot in Hawaii, and Hawaiians do not respond to negative ads.
0: Interesting. <laughs> specifically,
1: the only state that I've worked in where that is the case, and like really dangerous to go negative in Hawaii. Terry Pickerell is a Democratic media
0: strategist here in Chicago who's not working with any candidates in this local election. And just a reminder city elections are nonpartisan. Terry, welcome to Cash Chicago. Thank you
1: for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So I am curious, is there an ad, local or national, from any point in history, that when you think of it, that is like the gold standard of like effective political messaging?
1: Well, I think I don't, I can't think of one in particular where I'm like, oh, well, I mean, unless you go back to like the Johnson's, you know, <laughs> ad, the <laughs> Daisies, I mean, that was a really effective yeah. ad.
0: Play. Four,
1: five. It was seven, a little girl pulling a daisy, six, counting down.
0: Six, eight, nine, nine, Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four,
1: three, two, one, zero. And then the atomic bomb goes off. These are the stakes. To make a world in which all of God's children can live, or to go into the dark. So it was like if you don't, for Johnson, you know, we're going to be screwed. <laughs> the world's coming to an end. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty on the nose, but it was really effective and interesting because a little
0: bit of you know, it's not an attack ad. You're not attacking another candidate, but it's not exactly a
1: like a positive ad either, right? No, yeah, that was definitely more of a negative ad.
0: <laughs> How do candidates and strategists like you? Decide what kind of ads will work? Where are you getting kind of the information that that informs uh what approach you take?
1: yeah, I mean, we always start with the message and and with the candidate, right? We don't create these candidates out of whole cloth. they have records, they have ideas, they have a story to tell, and then we work with data in most races, not all races. It depends on where you're running and how much money you have uh, but Mostly you have uh, a poll that you would ask voters, you know, what do you think about this person and what they've done and what they want to do for you and what's important to you? So you kind of combine those two things. And that's how you come up with what people need to hear and how how far you need to move the needle positive or how much you need to let them know about your opponent and what his or her positions are.
0: In a municipal election, what are some of the ballpark figures for what it costs to put something on the air? Or, or even like if you're just you want to pay for a video that you want to run on your social media site or something, you know, what are what are we talking about in terms of cost?
1: Yeah, I mean, it really ranges. So Chicago is expensive. It's an expensive market to run media. in. I think right now it's $700 a point to run one ad. So we usually say you want to run an ad for a thousand points. Somebody would see it 10 times. A lot of these candidates are not running a thousand points a week uh, right now. But let's just say overalls. But that's $700,000 for one ad on broadcast TV. There's different ways you can get it down a little bit lower, but it's still very, very, very cost prohibitive for most people, especially um, automatic campaigns. And then at production, so production wise, you know, it all depends on, are you doing a studio ad where it's just graphics and and still, so it could, you know, range from a couple thousand dollars to $20,000 to do, or 25 or 30,000, you know, it could go up high depending on how much, what you're doing
0: how slick you want it to be. How long is it going to be? Exactly. All that stuff. So that $700,000 figure you first mentioned, that's just what you're paying the station to, to put this on television, basically. Yep. Okay. So it doesn't even include the production side.
1: It doesn't include the production and it doesn't include like having staff and having, you know, everything that you have to have on a campaign. So that's why campaigns are so expensive and especially in bigger markets like Chicago. How have you seen that change,
0: you know, throughout your time working on campaigns?
1: I mean, it definitely has increased in cost. Uh, Chicago, when I first started, was probably in the four hundred range a point, and now it's up to seven hundred. And it and keep in mind, last fall it was even it was like nine hundred. <laughs> it was wow. outrageous. you know, during, it's like during the midterm. During the midterm, yeah. So it, when you have more competition, the rates go up. But that also shows that the ratings are there. I mean, people aren't going to pay for something that people aren't watching. In a mayoral race, I, I would say if. You have the budget for it. It's really important to have data as well so that you know what people, what's important to people. Obviously, in Chicago right now, we know what's important without a poll, which is public safety. Crime. I'm Chewy Garcia, and enough is enough. Paul Vallis will put crime and your safety first. Brandon Johnson has a plan to make Chicago safer. But on crime, <laughs> Mayor Lightfoot's got a plan. She's putting. If more it's police a, like all the they're probably not doing a poll. Some may, some may not. It's interesting. You mentioned like
0: aldermanic candidates maybe don't don't necessarily always have the funds for polls. I live in the forty eighth up here on the north side, and I have I have answered uh, three different polling calls this week, uh, and there are ten candidates running for alderman. And I yeah. these poor pollsters, I just have to be like, I have no idea who any of these people are. I'm so sorry, <laughs> right. I cannot give you any useful information. Right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, it depends on the type of poll too. Sometimes you want to just do like a a read of the race to see who has name ID and who's without doing any communication. Those are rare. Typically, you do more of a message poll and you figure out this positive move the needle or does making sure people know what my opponent stands for move the needle more. We've talked a little bit about attack ads, about negative
0: ads. Um, I think that's something that when if you were to ask voters about it, they would probably say they don't like them very much. Uh, I think they can be a little fatiguing. And so why do campaigns use them? Why use attack ads at all?
1: Yeah, um, voters say that all the time, and then we'll do focus groups. And in the focus groups, you'll show an ad. Well, they'll say in, in advance, "I'll be like, I just don't want to see a negative ad. I just don't like negative ads." And then you'll show an ad that tells what you know a negative ad basically. And then afterwards, they be like, "Oh, I don't like that guy. I don't like that that woman. I don't want to vote for her." You know, they move voters, so that's why we use them. <laughs> like, and and I think it's important to also tell voters where your opponent stands on the issue. I don't it's a, you know, a competition Who's going to win. This is you know, you have only one person can win and you should make sure that they know where your opponent stands on the issues and where you stand on the issues. And they don't have to be droning negative ads. I don't think that those work as well anymore. I do think that there is fatigue around the dark music and, and all of that. So something that's more factual works a little better today, I think, than it than it has in the past. So
0: Congressman Chewy Garcia, he put out this video, this ad, attacking uh, candidate Paul Vallis, and he used clips from an interview that Vallis had done. We have to protect our rights, but Paul Vallis won't, because Vallis is a Republican. I'm more of a Republican than Democrat. It's Fundamentally, I oppose abortion. Chicago deserves someone they can count on. Chewy Garcia. Vallis later said that, that these statements were taken out of context and then put out his own ad, his own video, that said basically the exact opposite.
1: Paul Vallis, a lifelong Democrat who will bring accountability to City Hall, protecting our values, ensuring Chicago is a safe haven for women whose abortion rights are denied in other states.
0: You know, when voters see stuff like that, it sort of prompts this question of like, how true or accurate do ads
1: have to be? So there's two different types of campaigns. There's a candidate campaign and free speech is allowed. So you can say what you want about someone, I have found you know we we adhere to research, we source everything i like I, it would hurt your candidate too much to say something completely that's not true. <laughs> you know what I mean that mm-hmm, can backfire mm-hmm. so much and it's not worth it. but if you're on an independent expenditure side, which is where you can't commute, you can't coordinate with a campaign, you're doing your own thing, they are held to a much higher standard, and you have to have proof and before they'll run, the, the TV stations will run the ad. And that's on TV. You know, digital is a little bit more of the wild, wild west there. <laughs> but um,
0: yeah, I mean, are there rules for digital? Like if you're just putting something out on your your candidate's YouTube page or something like.
1: Yeah, you have to have like a disclaimer on it. Um, there's there's some rules, but there's not there's not the um, when you work for an IE, we would have to send our backup for each ad that whatever we said in the ad that we sourced what our source was and show it before they would run it because stations can get sued by the candidates if it's wrong. Whereas it's harder to do that if it's candidate to candidate, which is not ideal. What do you mean by that? Can you can you say more about that? I mean, I don't think that I don't think that like I, I think that in our political system, we should have to tell the truth. I <laughs> think that the truth matters. And I think it's a problem that we have today in society that you know people have gone to. I don't know who to believe. I don't know who to trust. That's why I always, you know, use backup and and when I sort of say something, it's gonna be true. I don't wanna feed into that narrative, you know. And I and I'm hoping that most candidates do that. I don't
0: it can be tough though, because like a lot of times, like, you know, so in this ad that Garcia put out against Valls, right? He's literally taking a video from an interview. But even so, it's like the, there's always a question of like tone is this totally accurate? You know what I mean? Like I I'm like, I how mean, do you navigate I... that?
1: Yeah on the, the vows thing i think he got tangled up in that. i saw the whole clip i i know that he started it out saying he was pro-choice but then was a you know then they started going into like all these <laughs> different you know areas so i don't know about that aspect of it but the republican thing i mean i think he was up you know he said it <laughs> you know so it's like <laughs> yeah you know that to me is like you know you could say look i made a mistake and i shouldn't have said that but i don't think that was taken out of context necessarily
0: Let's say if if you know an independent expenditure, uh, you know, ad does get something wrong. Mm-hmm. What are the consequences of that? Are they just they liable the for ad. a lawsuit? Or okay, they
1: pull the ad, and it also can hurt the campaign. We had a campaign in uh, Pennsylvania that an IE came in and said something that wasn't factual about our opponent, and they had to pull it. But then then our candidate got hit for that for lying. You know, <laughs> and it's like she had nothing sure. to do with it. Um. So so you, you know you got to be really careful with that stuff.
0: We have been talking primarily just about ads that you see on TV, but you know I'm someone who streams everything. I don't yeah. really encounter political ads in the wild very often. Uh, how has uh, sort of the internet digital changed the way candidates approach advertising?
1: It hasn't overtaken broadcast TV yet, hmm. which is interesting because everyone I talk to, you know, they're 50 and under for the most part, and they're like, but. You know, I I don't watch TV. Nobody when I'm watching TV, I'm streaming it, um, which is why OTT is is vital in the mix. Like OTT is over the top uh, communication, so it's like when you stream. That's how we could target you. You know, is Mm -hmm, through mm -hmm. it's called OTT, and digital can be targeted really well too. So you can use a voter file and say who voted in the last three municipal elections and who's a Democrat, who are you know who are you whoever your targets are, and then put that list in and then target them, which is really a nice way to do it. Whereas broadcast is very broad. You know, it's um, you're going to hit people in the suburbs and Indiana if you're running in Chicago. But it's much more effective, like I said, because older people tend to still watch a lot of TV, which and they tend to vote. But digital is very, very important. So having a good mix is the best. It's hard to do that if you're running for older. let's say maybe you can do a little cable and have a digital aspect as well. But most likely you're not going to do broadcast unless you have a ton of money, you know, because broadcast is very expensive. So if your opponents are just doing digital and you're doing digital, then it's apples to apples. But if we had a race, a congressional race, where we were up on TV and our opponents did digital Hmm. and we ended up winning fairly significantly because people saw more of a mix of what our guy was saying versus what the other candidates were saying.
0: Interesting. So would you say that sort of the, the advent of digital advertising is a boon maybe to for for local candidates trying to, to make it just because if yeah. TV is already so expensive, maybe you're more likely to be on a level playing field?
1: Yeah, I think that it does help, um, especially in more local races where you can't raise the money. You know, you can definitely get your name out there.
0: Ultimately, you know, uh, particularly on these these candidate campaigns, um, how much Say, does a candidate have uh, over what goes into their
1: ad? Um, a lot <laughs> when it comes. To, I mean, I can't speak to other firms and how they work with their candidates. But, you know, when we work with the candidate, it's they have 51 percent of the vote. It's their campaign. They get to decide what goes on, what doesn't go on. I had a race for mayor, actually, um, It's a primary election it was really important that we went very progressive. And she had this women's event and she gave this amazing speech about being pro-choice and pro-gay rights. And, you know, it was like going to put us in the progressive way. And so I cut it together and I was like, we should go. We have to go with this ad at the end. This has to be the ad. And I put like pro-choice and it was about equal pay for equal work, pro-gay rights, whatever. And she was like, I'm just like the mayor can't do anything about him. Like this isn't mm. what we deal with. And it's just I'm not that comfortable. And I was like, okay. What do you want to do? You know, and she's like, what if we added in, because she got the endorsement of the newspaper, what if we added in the endorsement from the newspaper? And they said great things about her, you know? So I was like, done, you know? So we did that, we worked <laughs> collaborative. And it was a much better ad that way, quite frankly, because we had this third party validator throughout it. And then she ended up coming in first place, going into the runoff.
0: So between negative ads, uh, campaign mailers, <laughs> clogging my mailbox, um, I think it's I think it's really easy for voters to feel cynical uh, about political advertising. This is your job. Uh, This is what you do full time. You know, how do you see your role in democracy? And and what's
1: your advice to uh, fatigued voters? I know voters get exhausted by all of the communications they get, especially toward the end of a campaign. But it's really important to pay attention to where what people are saying and how they're saying it and, and where they stand on the issues. And knowing that going into to vote is, you know, very important. Terry
0: Pickerell is a partner at SP Media Group and Riveter Digital here in Chicago. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Before we let you go, a little bit of news. Many vendors at the Little Village Discount Mall should be able to stay. That's what property owner Novak Construction said after the company negotiated a new 10-year lease with one of the mall operators. But some vendors may have to leave eventually. City officials are slated to meet with Novak tomorrow to learn more. Is your polling place accessible? The Chicago Board of Elections has released more detailed information for voters with disabilities. Check the link in the show notes to help plan ahead for Election Day. Enjoy the milder, if windy, weather while you still can. It could snow tonight and tomorrow with freezing temps expected through Friday. and some good news to get you through. If you're like me and you're always looking for cool, lesser known local spots to show off to visitors, head to the Hey Chicago newsletter and check out our hidden gems map. We've collected dozens of neat spots like a ghost church in Pilsen and a museum with actual gemstones in Oak Brook. And if you've got a good spot to share or you just want to say hi, text us at 773-780-0246. This is your last reminder that you have until noon today to vote CityCast Chicago as best podcast and Hey Chicago as best newsletter in the Chicago Reader's best of 2022 list. Check the link in the show notes and get your votes in now. Tomorrow, we're headed to Big Marsh Park on the Southeast side for another one of our neighborhood guides. We'll talk to you then. And if I say something really stupid, I'll also
1: edit that out. (laughs) Well, that sounds great. Then let's have a conversation.